All right, I'm sure you've all had the opportunity, but if you haven't, time is uh, clicking on, and if you're still looking for those 50-50 tickets, make sure you get them, because our, our, I haven't heard the official number for our pot, but I think it's grown quite large. So, as I've said before, somebody's going to have a great evening here in Las Vegas. How much? $1,254. Think about half of that. Congratulations to you folks. You've done well. All right. I think we'll get started here, folks. Uh, it's been a wonderful luncheon, and we have an awesome speaker to join us today. Uh, Mr. Michael Binkson. I probably Bink Binkton. I'm sorry about that, Michael. I probably killed your last name from Kansas. And I am going to let him introduce himself, and uh, he's got a wonderful presentation for us. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our speaker for the afternoon, Michael Binkton. Well, Mark Twain once said... Hello, I'd like to introduce Mr. Mark Twain. And then he said, you know, I like doing the introduction for myself because that way I either get the facts straight or get to bend them a little bit. I was once introduced by a young attorney who stood at the lectern with his hands in his pockets and said, I'd like to introduce Mr. Mark Twain, a very funny humorist. Well, I was taken aback. Imagine being a very funny humorist. It struck me almost as odd as a lawyer standing there with his hands in his own pockets. That was an unplanned introduction stimulated by Scott's introduction. I have another unplanned one. You heard from a very, very articulate speaker in the person of Sandra Benson earlier from Toastmasters, and it's rather daunting to follow someone from Toastmasters. I did in one of my myriad former careers that I may sort of touch on in this presentation at one time teach college speech courses for two different universities. And I can tell you that Toastmasters is a good organization and when she went over what it cost to be a part of Toastmasters, I have to tell you, it's a much better deal than the people got who were paying uh, what they were paying per credit hour to have me teach them speech in college. And probably just as effective or more so. One of the things that Sandra didn't tell you, however, is that oftentimes people adapt their speeches based on things that go on earlier in the morning. And I haven't said anything yet that I have in my notes or plan to say. So now I'll get to the story that I was really going to start with. Oh, it's good to be back in Las Vegas. I've got to tell you about the first time my wife and I came to Las Vegas. 
It was 1985, and we traveled out to Las Vegas with uh, another couple, Pam and Mike Rusk. They were both Randolph Shepard vendors, and uh, both had their own facilities. They were a married couple also. And one of the first nights we were at the ACB convention, we heard some people at the hotel talking about a $7 per plate T-bone steak dinner at a uh, casino across the street in Downaways called the Castaways. We were at the Holiday Casino. And uh, that sounded pretty good to us. Now, of those of us who were in our group, my wife and Pam and Mike are all totally blind. I'm legally blind. And not a lot of other people had tried to make their way over to the Castaways so we were like the first blind people to enter that casino, I guess. Um, the Castaways kind of looks like a flying saucer that landed in the middle of uh, the strip. At least it did back then. I don't know if it's still even there. That was nearly 50 years ago. But it, it was uh, very easy to locate. And we found our way through the casino to the back where the restaurant was offering these steak dinners at such a good price, even for back then. Well, it was very crowded and not very well organized. There were people in a line that was not moving very fast at all trying to get in and people coming out through the same door. So there was quite a traffic jam and the lines just really weren't moving much. My wife and Pam Rusk both used guide dogs. And at that time, they both had harness signs on their guide dogs that said, please don't pet or feed me, I'm working. Well, the guide dogs got pretty tired of standing in this line that was not moving, so they both laid down. And most of the people in that line had no idea that there were blind people or guide dogs waiting to get into the restaurant. Well, as we were standing there in the line that wasn't moving, here came one of the staff from the castaways, and she was wearing one of those outfits with the fishnet hose and the thong and nothing else. Uh, much so, she did have some kind of very low-cut covering on, on the top part, but, you know, definitely dressed as a showgirl, and she had taken a message in to somebody who was dining in the restaurant and she was trying to get back out. So she was going, excuse me, excuse me, may I get through? Excuse me, excuse me. And she really got kind of stopped right facing me. And so we were nose to nose almost, chest to <clears throat> endowments. And she looks down with nobody else knowing there are guide dogs down there, and reads out loud, please don't pet or feed me, I'm working. <laughs> I tell you, the conversation in the line got real quiet, and I suspect everybody was looking at me going, well, what did you do to her anyway? <laughs> so I couldn't resist. I decided in for a penny, in for a pound. I said, well, what are you doing when you get off work? 
My wife says that she had a really good comeback, which my wife doesn't remember and says that I purposefully forgot, but I really don't remember it either. Anyway, uh, that's my first Las Vegas story, and so I always have fond memories of that and a number of other stories that we won't get to today when coming back to Las Vegas. But this time, when artists called me and asked me to do this, I said, well, a luncheon speech for an August group such as Sagebrush? I don't know. What do you want me to talk about? And she said, oh, I've heard you do luncheon speeches and banquet speeches before, Michael. Just uh, tell a joke or two and talk about whatever you want to. You know how to do luncheon speeches. So I agreed. But when the program came out, I was absolutely dumbfounded to find out that she had billed me as a motivational speaker. Now, it's true that uh, I, I did uh, teach speech for a while, but in my checkerboard career, I have been an advocate and a lobbyist. I'm having to get my list and read this because I've done things I don't remember. Uh, a college speech teacher, a program administrator, that was a fiasco, uh, a rehabilitation worker, an actor, entertainer, singer, and a very poor living was that, and a certified orientation and mobility specialist, which is the last profession that I completed credentials for at the age of 55. I'm semi-retired now, I'm over 55. We won't talk about how far. But I never during all that time thought of myself as a motivational speaker. So I thought about my years teaching college speech courses and realized that motivation is really a special category of persuasive speech. And one of the things that I always told my students was... If you're going to give a persuasive speech, you've got to understand what you're going to persuade people of. So my motivational goal for you all today is to be proud of who you are, what you do, and the program in which or for which you do it. The Randolph Shepherd program and the state Little Randolph Shepherd programs are the most successful programs in the country assisting people who are blind or legally blind to acquire real business skills and then to use those skills in gainful employment, allowing for a reasonable living. And after I wrote that, I really debated as to whether that word reasonable was the one to use. Some people have very lucrative livings out of the Randolph Shepherd program. Some people, it's just liberal. So I decided not to, I mean, just uh, uh, reasonable. So I, I decided not to exaggerate on that any. Figured some of you would take me to task if I did. But it is important to know that being a member or a participant in or an independent businessman in this program is an incredibly wonderful 
thing that has happened to you in your life. And to be able to communicate that to other people. We had some questions today about the fact that, well, this program had 65 vendors in it. Now it has 16. My state has suffered similar issues with uh, people getting into the program. And so it is important not only to know what you've got, but to be able to talk it up and let others realize that this is a program that absolutely must continue. And I want to talk about three people who were true examples of the motivational spirit in this organization. And you've heard the names all week. But I want to talk about Dan Siffel, Richard Bird, and Warren Toyama. I didn't know any of these gentlemen super well, but I'm going to tell you just a little bit about what I knew of each of them and how they impressed me. I had heard the name Dan Siffel, but didn't really know him until he came to an orientation and mobility conference along with artists in uh, 2017. Now, you might wonder what Dan was doing at that kind of a conference. So let me tell you a little bit about the latest profession that I got into over the years. I could not have gotten into that profession when I was getting out of college and trying to figure out what I was going to do because at that time, people who were legally blind or totally blind were not allowed to teach orientation and mobility. They could not sit for any of the certification. They didn't have an opportunity to prove what they could do. Does that sound familiar? That's the very concept that has created the Randolph Shepard program and allowed it to grow over the years. And the people in my profession have an opportunity to make contact with a significant number of blind and visually impaired folks, both congenitally and adventitiously so. Now, given the fact that it was in the late 1990s before they would even allow an orientation, a, a legally blind person or a totally blind person to take the coursework and sit for the orientation and mobility exam, we still don't have a very high percentage of legally blind or totally blind O&M practitioners out there. In fact, that may certainly be one reason that uh, I went through a whole bunch of different careers before I figured out that I wanted to be an O&M uh, professional. They wouldn't have allowed me to do that when I started my professional careers. Maybe I should have just decided to become a Randolph Shepard vendor then. Probably wouldn't have had to make so many career changes because it's a great opportunity. And what it has done over the years is allowed people who have the skill potential to be able to learn what they need to and to then demonstrate that potential. And yes, it is the right thing for there to be some incentives provided through participation in the set-aside, in the uh, priorities, etc., for both 
the Randolph Shepherd program and the Little Randolph Shepherd program. And the folks who go into O&M are mostly sighted folks. Some of them have known some blind people and that's how they got into the program. And some of them, I don't know why they entered the profession. Now, don't get me wrong. They've learned to do it and they're doing a good job. But when you mention something like the Randolph Shepherd program, they get confused and think it's the Shepherd Randolph program and think it's about uh, a uh, shepherd that ran away from his duties as a sheep herder. Well, the shepherd ran off. That's the concept, or that's the group that Dan Sipple and Artist Bazin came to talk to because they saw the potential for using informing orientation and mobility people to reach out to those who could benefit from this program. And I learned all that in uh, being invited to dinner with uh, Dan Siffel and artists uh, one night of the conference of O&M instructors that I was at. And it's something that I will always remember because Dan could be such a persuasive individual. I also in part of my life, served as a lobbyist. And during the time I was lobbying, I got a call one day from a gentleman named Richard Bird, whom I had seen at some conferences, but I didn't really know him. And he was working on some legislation where he needed a couple of names from delegations in and around my state that I had worked with I tried to do what I could to assist Richard, but I didn't really feel like I did that much. But for years after that conversation, when Richard would see me, he'd go, I remember that information you gave me. It was so useful, and I just want to thank you again. Richard knew how to say thank you and how to make people feel good about what they do. It's a tremendous skill and one that certainly is applicable to the professions represented in this room. And the last person that I want to discuss is Warren Toriyama from Hawaii. Way back in the 1990s, I think it was about 1998, as a former American Council of the Blind board member, I was invited out to speak to the Hawaii Association for the Blind Convention. And Warren told me, now, the night that you're speaking, we're having two banquet speakers. We've got you and we've got the lieutenant governor of the state of Hawaii. Well, that was a pretty august uh, company to share the uh, podium with. But the thing that I remember and that impressed me the most about the uh, lieutenant governor's speech is he said, well, back when I was a state senator, we had some very major legislation going through strengthening our little Randolph Shepherd Act. And I talked to a bunch of my colleagues and I called Warren, Tom, uh, Warren Toriyama and said, you know, some people, Warren, are saying that some blind people might make a lot of money out of this. And he said, Warren's answer was, well, what's wrong with that? 
Now, that was a good answer. Warren could have gotten defensive and talked about all of the extra expenses just to be able to do stuff that blind people have, or about the high rate of unemployment, and about how they should have a leg up on the competition a little bit, and a whole bunch of stuff like that. But Warren didn't do that. Warren said, what's wrong with that? Why shouldn't blind people make a lot of money? That's not the most significant thing about the story, though. The most significant thing about the story is I didn't hear that line from Warren. I heard it from the lieutenant governor of the state of Hawaii who heard it when he was a senator, and he, in that position of power, was quoting Warren Toriyama. Think about that, folks. I got that story third-hand because Warren made such an impression as an advocate, and he did so with a position that some folks might think of as egotistical. I think of it as justified. That really should make some sense. I hope it does. Now, we have had to, as blind and legally blind citizens, all through our professional years, face lots of challenges. And one of the challenges that I think everyone in this room will agree that we have is the fact that most people drive. And transportation is a difficult issue. In one of my lobbying jobs, I was in the capital of Topeka, and I had to be at Monday morning meetings for the corporate headquarters of my employer in Wichita. And so I can remember many a night in the middle of the night between one and two in the morning, sitting outside of the closed bus station waiting for a bus to get to Wichita, whereupon I would check into a... Uh, kind of a third-rate flea bag hotel, but it was the closest one to uh, the bus station. I could walk to it, and they did have an all-night desk clerk. And I'd get in my room there, and I think it was $20 a night at the time, and then I would be at the meeting, acting bright and chipper and like I knew what I was talking about. Sitting on that bench gave me an opportunity to write some parody songs, and... and Parody songs are something I've done off and on over the years. I did this one the last time at the very end of karaoke night uh, at uh, the convention in Omaha this year. But fortunately, there were only about nine people left in the room at that time. And so most of them, and most of them probably don't remember my rather alcohol-infused version of the song. So I thought I'd try to belt it out for you today. I tried to save some money on airfare for y'all, so I didn't bring anything to accompany myself with. But here we go. This, by the way, makes the point that sometimes the best way to deal with adversity is through humor. 
I arrived at the bus station at 2 a.m. The cars were, the, the doors were all locked. I couldn't walk through them. I waited outside cause the bus ran late. But there was other passengers with whom I could wait. I waited with 16 DZs, tookers, the pimp that they had. Three homeless folks and an evangelist who smelled bad Waited three hours, sixteen minutes And when the bus finally showed The driver said, I can't take you Cause I got a full load Do 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 Another bus finally came And they had a place to sit The driver spoke no English and the restroom smelled like uh, chemicals. <laughs> My guide dog laid down on a wadadentine. And then the next driver complained because my dog wasn't clean. I rode 16 taxis, a commuter subway. My bioptic fogged up down in the train bay. No detectable warnings. Anywhere near that train And so the number three express Ate the end of my cane <laughs> I couldn't find another way So I decided Whoops, I'm skipping a verse I awoke one morning It was drizzling rain I had to get to work So I grabbed my white cane I walked to the bus stop Carrying my bus pass a sports car roared through the mud and splashed up to my glittiest maximas. <laughs> this town's got 16 taxis. Maybe one is legit. I took a risk and called one, and what did I get? The driver was enormous, 900 pounds smoking dope. But she was wearing pink tights, and she gave me a grope. Do, 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 do. I couldn't find another way, so I decided to hitchhike. A car's slowing down now, that's what I like. But I didn't see until it came to a stop. It had a red flashing light sitting on its top. I spent 16 hours sitting in jail. My wife couldn't find a ride to come pay my bail. If they had a plane to heaven, I probably could not go. Because the only seat left would be in an exit row. Now that's not quite the end. I do have just one more thing I want to present, and that's to prove that I am still writing something once in a while. That one was written back about 1995. But another thing that we have overcome which should motivate us to be proud of what we're doing and to keep doing it is COVID. COVID darn near stopped a lot of these operations that are run through, the, through you folks from working. 
But we were creative, and this whole conference has talked about ways in which people overcame that adversity. So I think there's got to be a little humor associated with COVID as well. And during the time that uh, I was uh, thinking about this, people were sending out somewhat humorous emails about COVID. So I wrote this little piece about an email that I kept receiving concerning COVID-19. I opened up Facebook the other day and read a message from my good friend Glenn. Tonight, at approximately 10 p.m. your local time, a medical satellite will cross the United States and take everyone's temperature. You are all directed to stand in front of your domicile, naked, with your ID in your right hand. Results will be sent to you in two weeks. Well, I had received that email seven times, and I had some questions. So I wrote this response to my good friend, Glenn. Uh, Now, Glenn, this is the seventh time I have received this notice telling me to do this. Every time it's in a different font, although often they contain red, white, and blue. The uh, information, though, is all about the same, and yet I have yet to receive any results. Being a patriotic citizen, I have, of course, complied, but this has created some difficulties. The first time that I got such a message, it was in March, and it was still cold, and I had such a shrinkage problem that my wife received three sympathy notes from the neighbors. (laughs) The second time... The police stopped by. They could not give me a ticket or arrest me because, as was noted in the national news, conservative Topeka, Kansas, has no ordinance preventing someone from being nude on their own property. But they did give me a warning because they said the art I was displaying violated the Neighborhood Improvement Association's Neighborhood Beautification Program. The the third time I received the notice, there was a thunderstorm and lightning darn near hit my lightning rod. (laughs) The fourth time, I realized when I got outside that I had forgotten my ID, so I just reached into my mailbox and pulled out an envelope with my name on it and started waving that in the air. Now, it just so happened that a traveling salesman was driving through the neighborhood at the time, and the envelope turned out to be from Publisher's Clearinghouse. So the salesman thought I had won, and I have yet to get rid of him. (laughs) The fifth time that I got this notice, uh, the mosquitoes thought my uh, personal parts were dialectable. When I got the notice for the sixth time, 
Apparently, the little college girl that lives down the street had gotten a notice too. And when she came out, I suddenly realized that something besides my ID was waving in the air. <laughs> now, Glenn, you say that I have to do this a seventh time. I wonder what will befall me then. Well, it turns out that the seventh time when I walked out, it just so happened that the local neighborhood werewolf was walking through the neighborhood, and he saw my pasty white ass and thought it was a full moon. So he started going through the change. I had to go back inside just to get him to change back, so I don't think they got a good reading. Now, Glenn, I am a patriotic American, but if I get this notice one more time, I think I'm going to keep my patriotic proclivities inside and just post a picture. Ladies and gentlemen, be proud of what you do, and thank you very much. All right, that was uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. That was great. All right, I think at this point, before we hand out some awards, I think it's that time that we're going to do the 50-50. We have decided that we're going to honor Michael by allowing him to be the lucky drawer of the ticket. So as you are sitting in the room, go ahead and pull out your tickets. Um, Anna is bringing the bucket. Now, I do want you to know that I did buy a few of these tickets. And if I happen to draw myself, I'm going to be more embarrassed than I was when I, when I had to go inside because of that werewolf. Okay, we're going to shake them up. Get all the ones that were sold first moved around and mixed up with the ones that were sold last and all that kind of thing. All right. I have pulled out a ticket. Whoops. I almost had two there. Now I'm going to adjust my bioptic lens here. And uh, I, I, I'm blocking on her first name, but Scott's wife was kind enough to turn it right side up for me because I had it upside down. <laughs> Just proving my bona fides as a visually impaired person here. And the number is 97 Four zero seven eight seven. Again, that's nine seven four zero seven eight seven. Somebody have it. Does somebody have the winning ticket at the back table there? If that's you with the winning ticket, could you stand up? Uh, 9740787. Oh, looks like we have a winner, Donna. Nope, sorry, Donna, the other corner.
So we're confirming, we're confirming right now that the uh, number is correct. And it appears we have a winner. Who is the winner? Oh, here comes, here comes an announcement. Thank you, everyone, for your generosity. RSVA appreciates you very much. And I want to personally thank Kathy Welch for being so good about getting tickets. She, she is a real salesperson. Thank you, Kathy. So what was the total number? The total dollar amount. $627. Split twice, so congratulations, winner. And who was the winner? We didn't hear it online. Who was the winner? Could you please, please come up front so we could get your name? It's Valerie Hester. So Valerie Hester from Georgia was the winner. Oh, congratulations, Valerie. Thank you so much for being here. And if you need a new friend, I'm volunteering. All right. So in this portion of the program, we thought we'd uh, share a couple of letters uh, from a couple of... Uh, couple, they have to do with a couple of our dearly departed folks. Um, Issa, could you read that one first? Could you do that? Yes. So I was uh, given this by Donna, who is one of our board members, uh, in remembrance of Warren. Okay. Um, Yeah, go ahead and read it. My husband Bob and I traveled many times over our 30-year marriage. We met Warren and Julie early on and found them to be a warm and interesting couple. On several of our visits to the islands, we enjoyed the hospitality of the Hawaii Association of the Blind before their annual conventions. I can picture Warren sitting on a low swinging his legs to music, and singing along with his friends. Warren and Julie founded the HAB, then an affiliate of the National Federation of the Blind, or NFB. Early on, several states and special interest groups met in Las Vegas and talked about forming our own organization. As it turned out, all of the groups found a home with the American Council of the Blind. Warren played an important role in the organization while making and keeping long-lasting friendships. The HAB, early on, at Warren's insistence, developed a war chest because he knew at some point the money would be needed to fight for the rights of blind Hawaiians. When they were up against the state to keep the f vending facility at the Honolulu International Airport, the war chest came in handy. Ultimately, HAB won the battle and employed several blind Hawaiians at the facility. Warren was a very wise leader of the HAB until he stepped down and gave the reins to Philo too. 
Warren and Philo made an outstanding organization grow over the years. Philo left us first, having battled cancer, and now we mourn the loss, sorry, my microphone went out. We mourn the loss of Warren Toyama. It is my hope HAB will thrive and grow from the knowledge and wisdom Warren promoted. Aloha, Warren. You will be missed by so many who knew and loved you. And that was from Donna. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. And um, <clears throat> thinking about Warren and Richard and Dan, and I, I do have a letter I wanted to read from Dan's wife. Um, I'm going to try and read it, but I did call Sue, and I said, Sue, I'd love to have you at Sagebrush and talk about Dan. And she said, I can't. I, I just can't. And I said, Sue, I could have you on a phone call, and you could talk to everyone and tell us about Dan. I can't. I can't. Why in the letter? But she finally agreed to have her family help her, and she wrote us a letter about Dan. And um, <clears throat> as you know, sorry, Dan was a very dear friend and a hardworking man, and I do miss him a lot. But <clears throat> so I'm going to try and share this letter with you if I can get through it. Okay. Uh, when I was asked to say a few words about Dan, I told Scott that Dan was the speaker in the family. Coming from a family with nine siblings, you had to speak up or you would not, or you would be left out. In the last few weeks, when people reached out, the things I heard from most about um, that I heard about were how much of an advocate he was for the visually impaired and the work he did for the blind vendors. That was something he truly enjoyed. There have been many days and nights he would be on the phone or sending out emails to help someone to find an answer or something. He always seemed to have the answer, which I am surely missing right now. He especially enjoyed doing the exhibits at Sagebrush because it allowed those who were not able to attend events like NAMA or other trade shows an opportunity to part to personally speak to the professionals. The word no was not in Dan's vocabulary. Whether it was being told no he couldn't do something or saying no when someone asked for something. As one of my daughters mentioned that he did so much that we really did not know the extent of what he did. It was a good thing that, that Sage was in Las Vegas. When we first attended 23 years ago, Dan could 
never turned down a trip to the casino. <laughs> if, if you feel so inclined, drop a few dollars in the machine next to the men's room. <laughs> it was always good luck for Dan. <laughs> I would never have imagined that we would have had been so involved in such a great organization. The friendships we have made are priceless. I wanted to share that from Sue Seppel. Thank you. All right, so with that, we have a couple of award winners with us. And I have a plaque for our first winner. And uh, I would like to read it to you. All right, so this one says, Randolph Shepard, Vendors of America, Sagebrush BEP Training Conference. This is the Terry Camerdale, Charlie Gla I'm sorry, Charlie Carroll Advocacy Scholarship Award presented to Randall Crosby from the Golden Nugget, February 9th, 2023. And Randall, I would like to hand this to you. Oh, and I'd like where Herbert is online too. Herbert, the awards chair. Oh, is he? Yes, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. Uh, is there anything you'd but like to add? You're doing a great job. No, you're doing a great job. Go right ahead. Okay. All right. So, Randall, I'd like to offer, offer this to you in appreciation for being here. And I'd like to ask if you'd like to say a few words. Thank you. Yes, sure. Yes. Thank you, Scott, and thank you, everyone. Thank you to Randolph Shepard, Vendors of America. Yeah, I've kind of been jokingly telling folks around here these past few days, this is my first sagebrush convention. It only took me 32 years to get here, but, uh, but I'm here, you know. Uh, I don't like to rush into certain things, you know. I like to make sure I'm okay with that. Drives my wife crazy. Like, really, Randall, we got to come to a decision here. But I do like to joke a lot and keep my sense of humor, but this has really been just a special few days here. It's really been remarkable. Uh, I'm sure everyone would agree. We come to these things wondering what it's all about, and uh, you can't help but feel, uh, you know, you're going to be a changed person after something like this. All these bonding moments and networking and sharing of ideas and having our, our motivational speaker, Michael Byington, was awesome, you know. That was great. <laughs> a lot of good stuff there. And again, he talked about advocating. We're that word advocating is really uh, advocacy, you know. I think it's a key to our theme here this week. Uh, but thank you, Scott, and thank you, Randolph Shepard, Vendors of America. Thank you, Isa, for all the hard work she does behind the scenes. Uh, my wife and I have had the pleasure to work with these two people, this couple this week, and help out in certain capacities. So we appreciate all the hard work that goes into this from all the volunteers. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I did want to check, too, um, yeah, you sh yeah, you sure can. But I was just going to ask uh, a quick question uh, of our awards chair. Um, is there anything you wanted to say about Terry Camerdale? That's one person we haven't really touched on, and I want to make sure that we don't forget about Terry because we lost Terry as well. Terry was an incredibly uh, good-hearted man. Um, you might have judged him at first by a slightly rough exterior, but once you got to know the man, you know he had a big, big heart and. Uh, he was an amazing guy. Is there anything you'd like to share, or artists, either one of you? 
Uh, yeah, this is Herbert. I'm from Louisiana. Yeah, Terry was a uh, diehard for the Randolph Shepherd program. Uh, one of the things, Terry got me involved with a lot of the uh, convention and uh, sagebrush. Uh, and uh, I remember Terry always coming to sagebrush. And it would just tickle me that when they introduced the state, Terry would always say New Orleans. <laughs> you know, and everybody say New Orleans, but Terry would always call it New Orleans. And, uh, you know, but uh, Terry was a loving guy, and um, he really looked out for uh, Louisiana, um, and uh, he, he was really missed. And even at the bingo hall now, um, it's not the same. Ever since Terry has left, it's just not the same bingo hall. So, um, uh, he was just a wonderful person, and all of those guys that have gone home uh, was wonderful persons. I had a chance to meet all of them. And uh, uh, Scott, I just want to say to you and to artists and to the uh, committee for Sagebrush, y'all have done a wonderful job, and I am grateful that I be a part of the Randolph Shepherd program. Y'all have done it. I mean, really, this has been to me one of the best Sagebrush in a long time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Herbert, thank you. And Artis, did you want to share a few words? You certainly worked with Terry for many years um, as well. Uh, yes, um, I knew Terry uh, when I first joined uh, RSBA, which is um, quite a long time ago, uh, when I was a vendor, I was a vendor for 27 years, and I joined um, um, after I'd been a vendor for a number of years, and I really, could say that Terry was a hard worker behind the scenes. I mean, um, he was treasurer for a number of years uh, for RSVA, and of course, as Herbert alluded, he worked at the bingo hall for many years to help raise money for not only RSVA, but also the Louisiana Council of the Blind. And he was a tireless worker, yeah. and he really liked to share the Randolph Shepherd program with others. And he was also one of the initial people that was really involved in um, starting Sagebrush and continuing Sagebrush um, through the years. He was, um, him and Richard Bird, along with Kay Poe, were the ones that really um, started Sagebrush and got it moving along. And that reminds me, Kay Poe just passed away a couple years ago too. So all of the ones who started um, or I shouldn't say all, but most of the ones who started Sagebrush are no longer with us, so I'm glad we can continue the, the uh, cycle. I'm sure Terry and uh, Richard and Kay would all be looking down and saying, hey, I'm glad you're continuing uh, this uh, wonderful training program to help all vendors. Super, thank you, Artis. All right, uh, I think now we'll move on to the next award. And uh, Miles, if you had something you'd like to share, please go ahead. So um, we have an award that has been renamed. It, it is now called the, the Warren Toyama George Arsenal First Timers Award for vendors to uh, attend the uh, conference for the first time. And um, you know, Warren was a guy who always egged us on to give money because the organization needs money. So I don't know if some of you old timers remember this, but one convention here, 
Warren Toyama and Richard Bird, they went around the room and they collected so much money from all of us vendors, you know. Um, and you know what? I can't remember what the cause was, but there was always the guys who would head up the giving, you know. They would, they would and it was always for um, cause to retain our Randolph Shepherd program. So, being that said, from Hawaii, we have several donations. The Randolph Shepherd Vendors of Hawaii is donating $2,000. Uh, Walter Ishikawa, longtime friend and owner of, part owner of Blind Vendors Ohana, is donating $1,000. Tommy Morikami is donating $200. Um, our RSVH president, um, Norman Ota, is donating $400. Ronald Flomato, who is our vice president, is donating $500. And I am donating $500. So we, we're donating a total of $4,600. Thank you, RSVA. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Hawaii. We appreciate you so much. You continue to be one of the driving forces of RSVA, and we thank you so much. So... With that, I would like to award our next award. If I could get you to stand up for me. All right. So I'm going to read this one as well. Randolph Shepard Vendors of America, Sagebrush BEP Training Conference, the Warren Tariyama and George Ascro Scholarship Award, presented to Patrick Martin here at the Golden Nugget, February 9th, 2023. And Patrick, I'd like to say congratulations. And would you like to say a few words? Absolutely, Scott. Thank you for that. I do appreciate it. This has been a wonderful experience coming over here to Sagebrush this whole year, starting my new facility in the BEP program uh, in Florida, and then also uh, being reached out to by, by Randall, by artists, by you, Scott, and all the people of uh, RSVA and RSVF. Uh, what I've experienced is people coming together, all of us sharing common issues, obviously, with our eyesight, but common goals, and that is building uh, not only a business, but a career and a, and a livelihood. And I can tell you, everything that I've seen so far, people that have come from the past, people that have built it to what it is today, it's all about people communicating together, working together, and assisting each other. And I'm hoping over the years that I've been uh, able to not only be the beneficiary of your experiences, but I hope to help build and better the program and the organizations over the next couple decades. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And Artis, is there anything else, any other housekeeping we have to do? Yes, we have an ending toad. And the ending code is C as in cat, three, five, six, J as in jump. And again, that code is C, three, five, six, J as in jump. And we also have a couple door prizes. Do you want those? Yes. <laughs> Okay, the first name is Sierra Sco or Scow, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Are you in the room? 
I do not see any hands going up, artists. Okay. How about online? Um, I can't remember if she was a in person or not. Okay. Nobody's saying anything, so we'll go to the next name. Miles Damashira. Well, Yay, Miles! Miles! Yay! He is definitely in the room. <laughs> okay. How about George Abbott? No, he's a virtual participant. Is George Abbott? I don't believe we have anybody in the room, no? Oh, well, he was a virtual, so. Okay. But I don't hear anybody saying anything. Okay, the next one is Ryan um, Barnard. Ryan Barnard? No. Or Bernard? Whatever, no. However you... <laughs> no. Okay. Boy, we've got a lot of people missing out. They should have had a good lunch here, and they could have That's walked right. out with a good prize. Yeah. Jennifer Wright. I'm here. Okay, oh, there great. we go. Wonderful gotcha. and online. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. All right, thank you. And uh, I think we'll be starting uh, over on the other side here shortly again for our final session for the afternoon. And remember, uh, there'll be door prizes again. Absolutely, and I do have somebody who wants to make one last comment here. Yes, this is Randall Crosby again. I, I was remiss in forgetting in person. I really want to point out and show appreciation for, like I mentioned, Scott and Issa and all the work they do. <clears throat> and I know they appreciate her greatly, too. I'm speaking of our own artists, of course, because artists, you're not here in person, and it's easy to kind of forget the virtual element, but uh, can't forget you. And I've really appreciated being on this subcommittee this year and on the board uh, this past year and learning what you folks do. It's been so insightful. But artists really is the glue behind the scenes, keeping it all together. She worked so hard in the preliminary planning of this uh, great event. So thank you, artists. I would, like to yeah. <laughs> I would like to personally thank you, artists, for all the work that you have done for RSVA. And please get better so that you can come to National. I hope so. <laughs> there was an empty couple of chairs at the end of the table, and I kept thinking those were in, Arna, uh, in remembrance of Arnest and, and Kevin since they're not here. But we're, we're looking forward to having you back, artists. So whatever it needs to happen, I, I hope it does, and we see you here again next year. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So I think we will... Um, take a break and we'll be back on the other side of the other side of the room again at 2.15 so thank everyone okay well thank you artists let's get started with our presentation from Eric Bridges is he on with us yes I am oh Eric hello thank you for joining us and uh, we are ready to go so uh, if you'd like everyone uh, American Council for the Blind, Eric Bridges. Take it away. All righty. Well, thank you. Uh, very happy to be uh, representing the American Council of the Blind National Office and uh, the staff of this great organization uh, this afternoon. Hope everybody's having a good time in Las Vegas. Uh, my wife and I are big fans and have been to Las Vegas many times and have actually had the great pleasure to come to Sagebrush a few different times. 
uh, in person down through the years. So just wanted to um, share my uh, thoughts here briefly about, uh, about Dan Sipple and Richard Bird and what they've meant uh, to, to ACB real quick. Uh, I, I came to know Richard um, very uh, early on in my career, before I ever came to work for the American Council of the Blind, I, I was uh, working at National Industries for the Blind, and there was a big fight that seemingly has continued on forever between uh, what was then known as NISH and, and uh, Randolph Shepard uh, vendors over uh, military troop dining facilities. And uh, being part of those uh, discussions and uh, having Richard come out and be part of uh, what we called the legislative working group um, several different times, which is all of the national blindness organizations that had a Washington presence would get together and talk about policy and regulations and and all that stuff. But Richard joined us uh, several different times, and it was wonderful just to get to know him, get to understand his style, uh, and what a what a tenacious and effective advocate he was. Um, uh, likewise with with Dan, Dan. Uh, I got to know Dan through his role in, in Randolph Shepard as well, but just uh, I learned a lot from from Dan and, and also Bob Humphreys uh, about the Randolph Shepard program. And uh, what was most striking to me was how effective Dan could be uh, through just being himself and being kind. Um, going to meetings with him on Capitol Hill or at the White House during the Obama administration. Um, it always struck me how people tended to gravitate toward him because of just his, his nature and how not Washington he was, which is a very good thing. So um, I really appreciated the time that I had to, to work with both those gentlemen, uh, learned a lot from each of them and uh, wanted to share my thoughts. With that, uh, man, the, the year has kicked off and with regard to the work that we're doing, uh, it is a full on sprint to March and our, our leadership conference uh, that you know, encompasses our affiliate president's meeting and our legislative seminar, uh, the accessible currency rally, as well as in-person uh, leadership conference activities and tours. Uh, I'll get into that in a minute, but wanted to also just highlight uh, the audio description project. And, you know, it's been a part of ACB as, as a program for over a decade now. And through a lot of excellent work done by Dr. Joel Snyder, uh, Fred Brack, uh, as well as Joel and Bailey Page and others, uh, other members like people like Kim Charlson and Carl Richardson, this program has grown immensely, as has its overall effectiveness through advocacy to not just network broadcasters, but cable stations, as well as streaming services. And with all of this growth and all of the thousands and thousands of hours of described content that you can get now through the streaming services, it became quite apparent that we needed to fill a, a need on staff 
And in early January, we were very pleased to welcome Tabitha Kenlon, Dr. Ke Tabitha Kenlon, uh, to the ACB team as the audio description project coordinator. This is a full-time role focused on audio description project and audio description uh, in general. Uh, this is something where ACB has been the leader, is continuing to lead, and really needs focus from a, a dedicated staff person to, to look at, at this uh, very exciting as well as just growing program inside the organization. Uh, let's move on to the leadership conference. Oh my goodness, how many things have we given ourselves to, to work on and or opportunities for you all to participate in? All just within a week in March. So the afternoons uh, of March 4th through the 7th will be the DC Leadership Conference. The first two days, the fourth and the fifth, are highlighted by the affiliate presidents' meetings. And uh, as part of that, every year we do a keynote speaker. And this year is no different. We have a, a wonderful uh, leader in the blindness field, an individual that I've known for, gosh, 20 years now. Uh, who she herself is, is blind and is the new president and CEO of the Lighthouse for the Blind and uh, Visually Impaired in San Francisco. Her name is Sharon Giovanazzo. She's got a, a very compelling story to tell about her vision loss and her, uh, her kind of journey through blindness and uh, working and learning how to become a blind person after living a, a life as a sighted person. And uh, there's a lot of energy that goes with Sharon, a lot of, uh, a lot of laughter. And I really hope you all that, that sign up for, for this conference, find her to be as entertaining as, as I do. The second two days, days three and four, the sixth and seventh in the afternoons is the legislative seminar. And that's something that obviously we've done for many, many years. Uh, that's led by uh, Clark Rockfall and uh, Swathananda Kumar from our advocacy team, advocacy and governmental affairs team. And they'll be going over a lot of panels uh, dealing with the issues of the day, uh, as well as our imperatives for the year, our legislative imperatives, which are the same legislative imperatives that we had last year. It's a brand new Congress, 118th Congress. And so all four of those pieces of legislation need to be reintroduced. So we're talking about legislation dealing with web accessibility and app accessibility. We're talking about the accessibility of exercise and fitness equipment, uh, as well as uh, medical devices that, that we use to help independently monitor our own health. So all of these issues to go along with uh, really what is the next generation of the 21st Century Communication and Video Accessibility Act. It's known as the CVTA and not the CVAA that deals with the evolution of technology as including video and user interfaces. So those are really the four pieces of legislation that, that are gonna be covered. Again, a lot of excellent speakers, Charles Cooper, 
who is a, a great colleague of ours, is going to provide sort of a environmental scan from a political standpoint of Washington, D.C. For all of this, please visit acb.org to register. Uh, I believe it's $25 to register to attend, and this is all virtual participation these for these four days. Uh, if, as well, if you have a member account through ACB, members.acb.org, you can visit and, and register that way as well. The next part of that week is really pretty exciting. Uh, and this delves into ACB's advocacy history, uh, the lengthy history that is the fight for accessible paper currency in this country. It, it has been over 20 years since the American Council of the Blind and a couple of its members filed a lawsuit against the Bureau of Engraving and Printing at the Department of the Treasury over inaccessible paper currency. In 2008, we actually received a court order <laughs> that, that said that the, that the government's paper currency shall be made accessible to our community. And yet we wait and we wait and we wait. And finally, we decided we've had enough of, of just waiting. We've had some pretty good coverage of this issue just within the last couple of years uh, in the Washington Post, thehill.com, Washington, um, Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today. We've been pretty effective the last couple of years in raising the profile of this issue and how it is still not done. Well, the other thing that we, uh, and this came through a resolution that was adopted at our convention, to have the organization uh, put together an accessible currency uh, currency rally. And so on Friday, March 10th, we will be doing that very thing in uh, Lafayette Park across from the White House. So for all that are in the D.C. area, either in Vegas right now or listening through ACB Media, uh, we're going to be holding this rally to talk about the crying need that, that we still have as a, as a community uh, for accessible currency and to have that court order implemented. Uh, at every turn, the government gives some sort of excuse why they're not doing it. The interesting thing is, while they're not doing it, they're also not changing the currency. They're not updating the, the actual currency itself, which also puts us as a nation in danger to counterfeit because with each new currency redesign they are supposed to make that particular redesign accessible to us but it still hasn't been done so uh, a lot of folks are going to come would encourage you all to to come if you are in the area locally or within you know couple hour Amtrak ride uh, it's going to be fun. I have not participated in a rally in my time at ACB, which is going on 15, actually it's a little over 15 years now. Uh, ACB used to do these protests and rallies on a fairly regular basis in the 80s and 90s. 
Um, looking forward to having our voices heard and joining with the folks that are wanting to have Harriet Tubman's portrait on the $20 bill. March 10th, the day of our rally, is actually Harriet Tubman's birthday. So while this is our rally, uh, the, the issue of Harriet Tubman's portrait being on the 20 is something that has grown a lot of visibility uh, over the last six or seven years. And we've invited folks that are behind that movement to join us on stage to talk about the importance of it. Because here again, if they're going to put a portrait of Harriet Tubman on the 20, that is a, that, that is a fundamental redesign of the currency and would trigger uh, the government needing to make that banknote accessible to us. So pretty cool. It's going to be fun. And then we'll go right into the weekend where we've never really done this before as an organization, but we're going to have, we're going to have some breakout sessions to, to invite organizations to come and talk about work that they've been doing for the blindness community, the space science telescope organization that last year released a whole bunch of, uh, all, uh, you know, photos of, deep space with pretty amazing description and alt text of what that was. They're bringing, they're going to be bringing some 3d, uh, tactile, uh, objects for us to, to, to feel, to gain a better understanding of what's in those photos. Uh, there's also, uh, the library of Congress, the national library service is going to be there to, to meet with us, to talk through some, some things and other stuff, uh, the ability to, to get feedback from our members uh, on membership. Uh, we're going to be conducting some, uh, some focus groups there as well. But to go along with all of that are going to be some tours, some pretty amazing tours uh, of George Washington's Mount Vernon, the Botanical Gardens, uh, providing uh, those that come with a pretty unique experience and the ability to get out of the hotel to experience the sites in Washington. Uh, that it also will include, uh, you know, a, a, a monuments tour, uh, a, a riding tour where you can get out a couple different times to, to visit the monuments and memorials on the National Mall. Uh, as well, the Library of Congress and others. So I would encourage you all to go to acb.org. Uh, the agendas for these events are up there, as well as the in-person in -person component on Saturday and Sunday, uh, the 11th and 12th. So just a tremendous amount going on in preparation for all of this. Everybody on the staff is in full prep mode for all really you could argue there, these are four different events that we're holding in a week's time. Finally, uh, the ACB National Office is going to be on the move. Uh, we are going to be moving out of our current uh, office space in Alexandria, where we've been for seven years now, to uh, an office space by the King Street Metro stop in Old Town, Alexandria. And so really looking forward to, to doing that. No one likes to move. Moving can be kind of a pain, but uh, it's gonna be a really nice location that has access a block away from our, from our office space to the, to the subway system, 
to the to the Amtrak train as well as to the Virginia Rail, uh, as well as a large bus hub. So for our folks that don't drive on staff, it's going to be uh, uh, a really good experience transportation-wise, as well as uh, just being in a fun area with a lot of fun restaurants and other places to walk to. So um, that's just a bit of an update from from my perspective where we're at. Uh, there will be, you know, a couple more folks that will be hired uh, here in the first quarter uh, in the Minneapolis office, uh, as well as uh, likely another hire that was authorized through the budget uh, for this year. So there will be more news coming on new team members to to welcome to Team ACB. But other than that, um, Scott Artis, I'm happy to answer any questions that folks may have. All right. Does anybody have any questions? I can run the mic out to you. May have. All right. Does anybody have any questions? I can run the mic out to you. Can you tell us about the summer convention? Sure. So the summer convention is going to be in Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, it's sort of like back to the future artists. Um, we were supposed to be there in 2020 and uh, due to the pandemic, we were, were not able to, to hold it. So uh, we will be at the uh, Renaissance uh, Hotel and Convention Center in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago and uh, just about 10 or 15 minutes from O'Hare. And uh, I believe it's the 1st through the 8th of July. And it is a wonderful, uh, beautiful hotel uh, that I think folks are really gonna enjoy. Um, gonna be a lot of tours going into, into downtown Chicago, uh, museums, and other uh, other sites to see, but uh, it's going to be fun. And you know, I think last year um, I think was a very it was a very positive experience being together in Omaha. Uh, but I, I do think this year uh, th there's a bit maybe a bit more of a buzz just because it's going to be a lot I think easier for folks to to fly or take other forms of transportation to Chicago. So please come. All right, any other questions? I think that's, looks like that's it for here in, in the building, so. Yeah, we're, we're clear on Zoom. Okay. All right, Eric, thank you so much for the update and uh, Looking forward to meeting you in Schaumburg, Illinois this summer. That sounds great. If Thank you, everyone. All right. Artists, any housekeeping? Um, no, not right now. Okay, fantastic. Go on to the next panel. <laughs> All right. So... Um, I'll do a little housekeeping uh, at this point, and I can mention it again. But um, so uh, tonight at 5:30, we're having a reception next door, another chance to meet and greet. So if there's some folks you saw 
during the week, and you might want to, if they're still around, you might want to try and corral them and pick their brain about subjects or whatever. Uh, be a chance to do that. And I want to invite everybody for that. Also, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, if you'd like to have breakfast, I'll uh, give it to you again here. So, uh, because they're setting up for the Super Bowl, uh, we are going to be down in the Carson Tower on the second floor, the convention area over there. And the room is the Shoal Creek Room. So the Shoal Creek Room on the second floor will have some uh, breakfast items over there for you. And after that, uh, anybody who's interested in the, the, the um, Top Golf, at 9.30, I'd like to have us all assemble here at the Rush Tower um, entrance, and we'll catch our ride over. Uh, 10 o'clock, we've got a couple of, of ports over there. We can uh, have a golf clinic, and we'll try to be back here before 1 o'clock when it's all said and done. So it'll give us a little chance to try a little golfing, maybe consume an adult libation or a sandwich, and come back over. So uh, do keep that in mind. And I think that's all I've got for that. And I think we can move on to our next panelist here. So let's see, where are we at? All right. All right. How to advocate for Randolph Shepard program. Do we have Jeff Tom on? I am here. Oh, Jeff, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Yeah. And Randall Crosby. Randall, are you uh, in the house ready to come up? Oh, fantastic. All right, we'll be set in just a minute here for these two gentlemen. And Randall, he's no, he's no stranger to the stage here. He's been up here before. So there you are, sir. There's a chair in front if you'd like. Okay, I'm here. Thank you. Chair right here. Yep. You know, I hey, almost Jeff, fell go ahead, Jeff. The, I almost fell off the stage once at ACB. One thing I've never done is fallen off the virtual stage. So there is an advantage <laughs> to the virtual one. Um, before we, we're going to tag team, Randall and I, but before we get to the, I wanted to um, highlight something to piggyback on what Eric said. As part of the, because it goes to this topic that we're about to do, as part of the virtual leadership conference, and I think the, the date for it is on the 6th, we're um, going to be doing, um, a colleague and I, an introduction to self-advocacy. It's going to be kind of an introductory module. And later on in the future, these modules are primarily for seniors and, and it's going to, there's like going to be six more different types of topics, um, like, you know, rehabilitation services and emergency prepared, all sorts of different things. But this one is really general in scope. And if you're interested in really uh, a little more intensive talk than we're going to do today, um, you might be, you might want to take that in. So, because uh, it's not really, it's for everyone, not just for seniors with vision loss. So, um, so with that, let me sort of begin things. And Randall, you can just sort of, you know, punch in whenever you have, uh, you know, something to interject. We're going to, as I said, it's going to be a tag team. The yes. first, for me, the first principle in advocacy, whether it's Randolph Shepherds or transportation or whatever, is knowing 
the program that you are advocating for. And I don't mean just, you know, knowing how to run a facility uh, and, and knowing that, you know, what you want to get out of the program. I mean, it's really knowing how the program works, who makes the decisions, um, what are your rights, because the more, well, knowledge is power, as they say, and that pretty much sums it up. So the more you learn, the more you come to conferences like this and participate in your state's conference, participate in your state's, you know, vendor policy committee or whatever it happens to be called, the more knowledge you get when push comes to shove and you have an issue that you want to advocate for or against, the, the more successful you'll be able to be. If you're opposing something, you'll know what you want to oppose and you'll know how to best approach that. If you're supporting something, same thing. So that's the first thing I think is important. The second thing uh, is to know the people that are the decision makers that are going to be involved, whether it's a public official, uh, a state legislator. Um, there's a, a California advocate who in the Fresno area, and he happened to know his legislator, and he was able to use that connection a few years ago um, to get a bill passed on the issue of vendors having to pay utilities at rest areas. And, um, you know, if he hadn't had that connection, it might never have happened. Um, and, I, and I use that as an example. Um, uh, Randall, do you want to talk about some of your networking, you know, viewpoints? I know you have some thoughts on that. Yes, Jeff, thanks. And uh, Jeff and I had, have never met in person yet, but uh, and I, we never talked until last week, but it was a great conversation. We shared some of our thoughts. And Jeff obviously in, comes from the legal and legislative areas of the advocacy, and he's been intentional about that for a number of years through his career. He's done it as a professional. For me, I, and that's why I enjoy being on the panel with him, I think we have two different, completely different backgrounds in many ways and share on some things at the same time. So for me, I was introduced to Randolph Shepard vending in 1990, and I learned early on in my first facility that I strongly have to advocate for myself and be my own voice and speak up, even while having that backing of Randolph Shepard that I'm so thankful for. But if I don't make things happen for myself and for my peers, who's going to do it? I'm not going to wait for others to do it. My first uh, district rep back in those early days said something that was, to me, very wise, and it stays with me. Ron Dovey was his name, and he said, uh, Randall, I became a district rep because I realized if I don't do the job, someone else will do it, and I may not like the way they're doing it. So I've advocated for myself through my businesses. I spent 14 years at Kennedy Space Center as a business owner there. And that was a very high profile location, obviously. We were in the headquarters building, so I learned how to navigate through the legislative and legal process, the bureaucracy. And I think I learned the most important lesson is to, honestly, they do say you catch more flies with honey. Uh, a lot of people think that means you're just weak and giving up and letting people push you around, but to the opposite. It's if you're assertive but kind to people, it makes that difference. And 
Jeff and I had discussions about, you know, what's going to be the leadership here with Randolph Shepard. And I think we've seen these past few days, Jeff, that you and I said, who's going to be that person to step up and be the outside the box thinking? But I think it's going to be just more than one person. A lot of people here that are doing that good work. But advocating, it's kind of something new to me now. Even I'm 32 years in the program, 61 years of age. But I'll say a few more comments and let Jeff take it back over here. But uh, I've taken on a new project. We are renewing the Randolph Shepard Vendors of Florida. Colton Knight is the president. He may be on virtual. Hope to hear from him in our question and answer if he's there to make some comments on that. We have Patrick Martin, who's one of our board directors. Our own chair, he's here in person. And Jim Worth, our chair, has been very supportive of what we're doing. And we are working toward renewing the Randolph Shepard Vendors of Florida to advocate for our blind vendors and fill in those gaps where our committee and SLA may have sometimes their hands tied. So real quickly, I developed Run With a Vision 5K, and my message here is find what your passion is, find how that fits in your life, and share it with others. Just live your life to the fullest, live life and network, and show people what we do as blind people for yourself and your peers. But we'll talk more here. I'll talk more in a minute, and I'll turn it back to Jeff. Yeah, just a couple of points, um, one of which Randall made, and it's so important. Uh, he, he said that you, you can catch a lot more flies with honey than you can with vinegar. And I want to actually um, be a little critical of the vendor community, which I normally am not, but I'm going to give a slight criticism here. Oftentimes, the relationships between the SLAs and the vendors are more combative than they need to be and should be. Um, because you have to remember that, you know, there's always going to be a tension between the licensing agency and the vendors. And that, that has to be that way. And that's a good thing for to have. You, you have to be able to fight your battles. But you also need to pick your battles. You also, you, you want to have from th those running your commissions and your departments of rehabilitation, a healthy respect that goes both ways. Because when it comes to the, you know, battles that you need their help, you know, for example, you know, the, the, the state agencies in Texas and Hawaii fought for dining facilities. And so you want them to be on your side at certain times. And you also want to be able to have a healthy dialogue with those folks. So, you know, the way to do that is when, when possible, and you can't, it isn't always possible, but whenever possible, you know, gain their respect, treat them the way you want to be treated. I, I've come at it from both sides. I've, you know, litigated on behalf of vendors. And briefly after I retired from the legislature, I worked for, you know, our Department of Rehabilitation. And they're good people on both sides. And we always have to remember that. Um, the other point I want to try and make, it, which we have partly made already, is that it helps to get to know people um, out, outside of when you're coming to them for something or to oppose something. And Randall's gonna to touch on that in just a minute, but from a legislative perspective, it is a really good thing to go to, uh, say your legislators or your congressmen's meet and greets or you know events that they're gonna be at festivals or whatever, just to shake their hand because then 
you know, not only is it possible when you want something, they'll know who you are, but they may hear about an issue that affects blind vendors and they may come to you uh, and you'll never have that opportunity, um, or at least not as easily, if you don't, you know, make that acquaintanceship ahead of time. So, Randall, I'll let you sort of, you know, play off of that, if you will. Yes, Jeff, and uh, you make a great point on that, that too often we wait till we have the problem and ran over our head, we're frustrated, we're angry, and that's when we reach out to that person who really has a lot of the power and control over our businesses and our really our, our lives in certain ways, and that causes even more problems for us, but we're in a state of being angry, and then we talk to them in the wrong way. And after the conversation, you're in regret about it. So Jeff makes a very strong point to we need to work harder toward that, reach out. And I know from personal experience, like I mentioned, this Kennedy Space Center, a large bureaucratic machine that's in charge of a lot of things. And at many times I felt like it was not in my control. We all know we have the contracts with the Florida DOT, our military dining, we've talked about all these things. Post offices, large entities that seem to be overwhelmingly powerful and can just run us over. So I'd encourage us all to think about both SLA here today and our, our committee chair people and committee reps, I'm a committee rep myself, and all of us vendors, how can we meet more in the middle? How can we find ways, as Jeff suggests, a terrific idea? A social event. Let's think more outside the box as we've been doing these days. Maybe we can have some kind of an event within our committees and SLAs to organize to invite these legislators, these key people, some type of a nice setting, even at our committee meetings. Let's try harder to get these people involved to share with them what they're doing. How many times have we seen, even here at Sagebrush Now, our, our own vendors that were here, 20 of them this week, I heard so many comments from them. We've heard it so many times from legislators. They get to know us as people, but they don't know us. And when they come into our world, they're blown away. They're so complimentary, so wanting to help us once they see our world. And they're intimidated by us. One last thing, because I've been hearing this even through the ACB meetings I've been attending, uh, those online community meetings, I've heard comments that we as a blind group were always saying, they don't understand us, those sighted people. They should walk in our shoes. I'm guilty of it. But are we walking in their shoes, those people? Even our own SLA people, are we walking in their shoes? And are they walking in ours? Yeah, for the most part, we're doing it. And again, Jeff and I don't mean to go negative or be harsh, but we want to point out there's always room for improvement, and I'm just as guilty as anyone, but we can all work harder to advocate for ourselves and each other and invite these entities that are out there that don't know who we are or what we're about and maybe look at us with even animosity or like we're just troublemakers <laughs> when we make requests in our facilities. Maybe we can build those relationships better. The go ahead, Jeff. final point I want to make, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I say go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Okay, the final point I want to make is to really consider who your potential allies might be when you get into an advocacy situation and how they can help you. you know, if you're operating a rest area, maybe you can get folks to sign a petition that come through that know you. Um, you know, 
Do you have a contact in the press or can you make a contact in the press? Sometimes a quick phone call to the local newspaper about, you know, how, you know, they're trying to run me out of the facility or, or whatever the case might be can go a long way toward, you know, changing some minds. Um, it, you know, Zoom can be an important method. You can get in touch with people and hold a Zoom call uh, nowadays in, in a way that you probably never could before. It's, you, know, it's, you don't have to worry about getting, any, getting everybody in the same room. So, so think about who you can connect with and who might help you get where you want to go. And I think that's my final point. I'll, if Rana wants to finish up, we can, then we can open it to questions if there's any time. Yeah, that's great, Jeff. I'll take the last 30 seconds just to say I was going toward a direction and kind of got sidetracked earlier that, so through the Randolph Shepard Vineyards of Florida, I personally took my passion for running 5K races and just running in general. And I put myself in the situation of becoming a race director for the first time in my life. And I really believed, I, listened, I, I said that mantra in my head, if you build it, they'll come. So last year, I did the first annual Run With a Vision 5K event. I had 70 registrations, paying $30 each. Uh, we had sponsors. This year, even USG was a sponsor. Pepsi was a sponsor. We had 20 sponsors this year, but last year, we raised $6,400, Randolph Shepard Vineyards of Florida. Uh, we had several sponsors with several thousand donations, dollars in donations this year. We beat it by $1,000, so it was 7400 and this was just my own determination to make this happen. I was afraid to do it and scared, and I was had many times of, I'm over my head, I don't know what I'm doing, but I kept pushing forward. And it's my determination to advocate for people who are blind. We had five vision impaired runners this year in it, maybe six. Opportunities for people who are vision impaired to come out and try to run or walk a 5K that may not have wanted to do it. So it's several levels of advocacy. And it made the live television news, local news as well, showing people, blind people do a lot of things, as was talked about by the golf, uh, Kurt, the golf golfer today. Yeah, working and studying are important, but we want to involve entertainment and playtime too, so important. As we're doing here this week, my final thoughts. That's it. Thank you. We could take right, questions. Any questions, if we have time, Scott? Yeah, I, I think we do. Do we have any questions in the room? <clears throat> I have uh, a comment. This is Artis. I know um, um, vendors have done a pretty good job of stopping some legislation that might have been detrimental. I remember it's been a number of years ago, but um, the Department of Transportation was going to allow commercialization. And we had a big effort from vendors um, all over the country. And Barbara Boxer stood up for us and really uh, pushed against it. And um, that was because she knew vendors in California. Vendors in California approached her and said, hey, this is important to us. And so she really helped us. And that's where it shows the importance of knowing your different legislators. Um, I know in California, there was a bill to require, um, I think it was 35, um, percent of the food had to be what they considered healthy. And I think they ended up with a compromise that, you know, some foods that we might not necessarily consider healthy are on there if as long as it's limited calories or, or whatever. Um, so it's very important to be out there and advocate 
and I heard that there's another state that's trying to do um, a minimum of healthy foods um, again. So it's important for all of us to be involved and uh, get out there and meet our legislators. And you know, artists, your comment about Barbara Boxer, in addition, Bob Portman of Ohio, it brings up a very important point. I believe both those two are now, I know Barbara Boxer's gone, I'm pretty sure Bob Portman is gone. And we need as a, as a you know, vendor organization, as, a, as ACB in general, we need to remember that you know, the allies of yesterday are yesterday. And we need to continue to form and develop those relationships so the next time something comes up urgently that we need friends, they're there. Hi, my name is Patrick Martin with the Florida delegation. Um, Jeff Randall, uh, thank you for all your insights. And I just wanted to make a, a comment reaching back to earlier today from our compliance officer uh, at the Florida uh, BEP, uh, Alan Risk. Uh, recently, over the past couple months, our SLA has been traveling across the state to different locations doing what they call a road show. And I was able to uh, uh, be part of the road show in Tallahassee where they kicked off the whole shebang. And Alan Risk uh, had a uh, kind of opened my eyes on, on how things work and uh, throughout the day uh, people have gotten to know me and this is my first year in the program and I'm just learning about what the intricacies and, and everything about the SLA and the, and the committee and us as vendors what are our rights and responsibilities and uh, the words that Alan said is a, a couple things that really hit home and one that the SLA is, is part of the government and government in itself is always looking to grow and retain power. And the one thing and the best thing that operators and our committee of vendors can do is uh, be the adversary and also the advocate for the changes that we want, whereas the SLA is the advocate and the adversary for changes in how they want to do things but how things actually get done then is the compromise in the middle. But the strongest thing that I have noticed and see that actually causes change in development and growth is when we do speak up and advocate for ourselves, and that's the active participation that Alan Risk was talking about. The key aspect to it is not just to say, hey, I want, uh, let's take my earlier topic, food trucks gone because they affected my business. Well, just by saying that doesn't make it happen and we can't just then turn around to the SLA and say, hey, this is wrong, I don't want it to happen, make it go away. No, we actually have to think about and put together an action plan, present it to the SLA and get them then to advocate for us. So it's not just, it's, it's the act of participation. We have to give them the tools so that they can properly do their job instead of just whining and complaining about something. And uh, the words that you guys have uh, spoken today, they, they hit home also. I just wanted to make that commentary. Thank you for that, Patrick. Good insight also. Yes, active participation. Yeah, Alan's been strong on that in Florida talking that up so that it's on our kind of the, the forefront of our thinking in our committee meetings, working together. 
Great comment. Thank you. I think we've got somebody down here that might want to speak. Hand up, please. Yep, there we go. Thank you. Aloha. I just want to share uh, the experience of Hawaii. Uh, Randall mentioned about advocacy, how true, how very true that is. If we don't speak, who's going to speak? If we don't move, who's going to move? If we don't act, who's going to act? We, we cry, we complain, we whine, but if we don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. We want the SLA to, move, to do it for us, but the SLA says no, they cannot do it, and oh, what, what, all the excuses. Now, uh, in Hawaii's experience, how did we get the airport? If Hawaii was able to get the Honolulu International Airport, why can't it not be replicated in other states? LAX, SFO, CTAP, JFK, Ronald Reagan Airport, Dallas Airport, O'Hare. There's a lot to be had if the blind vendors can get in those airports. Imagine that. In Hawaii, we don't have set aside. We were able to compromise with the state in a settlement that started in 1985 or a lawsuit that Hawaii Association of the Blind filed in 1985, ended in 1995, 10 years. We did a battle, tenacious. We didn't stop through the leadership of Warren, supported by dedicated uh, members of HEB like Philo, uh, Don Thompson, and the gang we were able to rest Operation the Honolulu International Airport to be given to the blind vendors. Now we have three blind vendors operating the Honolulu International Airport, and not just Honolulu, but also in Kauai, Maui, the Big Island. If we can do it, so can you. But you cannot rely on others to do it for you. You have to do it yourself. Mahalo. And I'm gonna tell you, thanks so much for that, Ron. It's going to, if this program is going to survive over the next decade or two and flourish, especially in light of the pandemic, but it's really started before then, it's going to take visionary and active leaders like Warren and Don Thompson and, and Philo and, and the Hawaiian you know, contingent to do that because you know we all know the serious jeopardy that this program is in. We all know how many states are you know losing vendors for a variety of reasons. And it's going to take real change and people willing to you know put their you know dedication and, and their lives on the line, not in the in the physical sense, but their livelihoods anyway on the line to work to improve this program. I'd like to piggyback on uh, the statement that Ron made, and that is Warren made it a point to get to know the legislators 
and ultimately to get to know the governor on a first name basis. And believe me, I was impressed when the governor walked in to our luncheon, uh, having been up more than 24 hours dealing with the tsunami, but yet he made time for the Hawaii Association of the Blind. That's a great example. Yeah, Warren, I never had the pleasure of knowing, but that's a, just a terrific example of what we're talking about. We need to meet those people there. You know, and earlier I mentioned, let's invite them to us, but honestly, each of us as operators, we need to be more diligent to attend uh, community events, meet those leaders, start out small, start out humble, handshakes and hellos to those community leaders and keep building on that. Yep. Randall, can I make a comment as well? Yes. I'm, I'm kind of preaching a little yes. bit to the choir, but, uh, you know, get to, get to know those local legislators as much as you do the folks that are in D.C. or uh, anywhere else because um, it's just important that folks know your name, know that you actually work in an environment where you're physically putting hands on product and putting them in vending machines or whatever you're doing. This is important because... They love to know that they have constituents who are beating the odds, because we all have little odds against us being able to be employed, and we're successful. So you tell the best stories about you. I can tell stories about you, but you make a much larger impact when you tell stories about you. So please keep that in mind. And I'll just say one last thing that I'm, I'll have to put my own words into practice as I stand up here and say, you know, do this and that. But I, I've not been diligent in reaching out. But not, I'm inspired by the stories I hear here by Warren and Dan Sipple and all these folks. So I want to put my own thoughts and more in action to do that as well because I see the value in that. Yeah, Scott is right because I have to practice that all the time. I'm, I do advocacy work for the California Council of the Blind. But there's no way I can do as good a job as someone who, you know, if we're trying to get, you know, mental health, there's no way I can do it as well as, as, a, as a clinician that serves blind people or as a blind person with a mental health challenge can do because they have a story to tell. Um, Scott is right. I, I have a question. Hey, Jeff, this is Randy Hout. I have a question hey, Randy. Uh, for you. How in the hell you keep so good looking, man? <laughs> I, I, that's because you can't see. <laughs> good, to, good to see you, buddy. Good to see you. Thank you for you everything you've done and continue to do. I do want to mention something that I heard. Um, I just listened to a recording that was provided um, from David Steele, who is the, I think it's the Office of Fiscal Management through RSA. And he was uh, on a training, I think NABM did a training, and I was provided the recording, but some of the things that were rather interesting on there were that um, from what he said is agencies cannot use federal money for litigation against the manager. So that was one thing that he came forward and said, and I know that that had been discussion point um, previously. Um, there was a few other things that were interesting. Um, as well, but one of the things that he did say is that the elected committee should have allowance for federal money to be able to support 
consultation. They can't use it, as you know, for legal matters, and either can the SLA is from what, you know, um, from what it sounded like his position was. But I thought that was rather interesting. I'm looking forward, if that is truly an option, you know, how we hone that and how we harness that to help make and assist elected committees across the um, land, you know, kind of, you know, have more of a impact if it's through advocacy or whatever it is. But I just wanted to throw that out there. I don't know if you've heard that um, or if you even care to hear that presentation. I can sure email it to you, but it was rather interesting, so. That's a great point. Thank you for that information. That's interesting. What's that, Jeff? I said that's very interesting. Okay. Thank you yeah. for Yeah, you're that. welcome. Is there more questions in the room or more on virtual? I think we've about covered it. Mom, what do you want to drink with your dinner? All right. I think that will about do it for this session. All right. Everybody wins some money before you leave. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Well, we do have a CE um, <clears throat> code. Um, so the final, the final CEO, CE code is D as in dog, 478H as in have. So D478, H as Bingo. in how. Oh, just kidding. I can't help And then it. we got some door prizes. Door prizes. Oh, right. <laughs> and I don't know if you wanted to ask for people's suggestions for next year before we do the door prizes. Yeah. Real quick. Uh, you're right, Artis. Um, certainly. Does anybody have anything to share about the week you just experienced here? Um, can you tell us about some of the high points or... Maybe some things that made you think about next year, some things you'd be looking at. So um, I'm going to step down here and talk just for a couple quick minutes about that. Is there anybody who would like to comment on? Okay, I've got somebody who's... No, you're good, you're good. Uh, I was telling you know, a few of the friends that I know around here that three years ago when I was here, we heard about this little virus coming from China that we didn't know really we were going to keep an eye on and see what it, how it impacted the United States, right? So we all found that out, didn't we? And uh, I knew when Las Vegas closed down, it was serious stuff. But anyway, um, it's so nice to be back live and in color, right? And see, even though we've lost, unfortunately, a lot of people and a lot of opportunities, we're still all here together, and uh, one thing I'll uh, I'll also say it was nice to see. You know, I know at times there's been division between RSVA and NABM, and you know ACB and NFB. But the way I see it, we're all in this together, even though we have different ideas and different pathways. But I felt it was a nice uh, nice thing to see um, some of the leadership of NABM here. Um, you know, and hopefully you all do too. So, you know, we'll just keep continuing to work for the betterment of the blind vendors and the program. And I mean, it's, you know, we're in a, we're in a terrible state, 
no doubt about it, it's like pushing a doggone boulder uphill with our noses, right? Everywhere we look, but I guess we just on keep plugging along, you know, and try and make a plan for a better tomorrow, so. Thank you. Anybody else have any comments about what you've experienced this week here? Donna, okay. Well, I guess I'm disappointed. Uh, for one thing, we were not made aware that housekeeping didn't come every day. Uh, we finally had to call and ask for towels. and uh, our, our beds never did get made up. And yeah, tissues, water, and we were also charged a resort fee of twenty dollars per day, the and the swimming pool has been closed. It is open. For heaven's sake. <laughs> Any anyway, I I I would like to see us. Look into another hotel. Yeah, absolutely. What the hotel told us when we registered, if you need um, cleaning or to um, towels and stuff, you got to call them a day ahead and they'll come in. So, yeah. I guess a lot of places are like that. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a change change in the industry that uh, shortness of people. Anybody else have comment? Um, I, I want to tell people that I've stayed at several hotels in the past few months and all of them have that same rule. So it's not this hotel. So it wouldn't matter what hotel you were staying at. All of them um, virtually tell you to call them if you need to have them do your room. They don't automatically do the, uh, the made uh, stuff anymore. You have to call the call them and let them know if you want maid service. Some require the day ahead. Some will do it, you know, when you call them. So it depends on the hotel. But that's something to keep in mind. And it looks like that's going to be the way forward because I think it was an excuse for them not to need as much maid service. And I think, you know, I don't think it's going to change. <laughs> We're saying uh, thank uh, you for your feedback, Donna. Am I good? All right. Uh, this is Travis Beck from Idaho again. And I just wanted to kind of go along with what Randy said. The fact that you had all that NABM leadership sitting here today, I think, was huge. I think they've extended a, a hand of friendship yeah. or let's work together. And I really hope that we can work on this together because honestly there are not enough vendors left that we can have silly contentions over over things that don't matter to the big picture for Randolph Shepard. Um, I, I hope we can reach back across to them and see some paths forward to, to build the program and not just let it die. Okay. Duly noted. Right here, Randall Crosby from Florida, one more time here. And I'm just going to say my biggest, my only complaint I have now is that my wife Patty and I have to catch the 6 a.m. shuttle out of here tomorrow morning. we got to get on a 9 o'clock flight. And we got to go home because I want to stay. This has been too much fun. But uh, I've really enjoyed this. Kind of say my official goodbye to you now. But I'll be at that social this evening, Patty and I, to see everyone. But it's really been just a great, fantastic seminar. 
Thanks to everyone again. And Patrick Martin here. All right. Um, and uh, one, one thing I'd like to uh, kind of look out for and see if we can do next year also is uh, uh, a real quick, whether it's in the beginning, middle, or end, just a quick roundtable of uh, the hot movers and new items that everyone's uh, oh, sure. uh, trying out uh, over at their locations. And we can kind of get a better idea of what's moving in different parts of the states. And even though we may not have it in our state, it's something we can bring in and try and, you know, just adds a little spice up and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, that's an absolutely great idea. We certainly can Thank you. take a look at adding that. Um, another thing that I heard someone mention that I thought was incredibly clever was I do wonder if we completely utilize our card readers that we have and um, maybe take a deeper dive into what those things can do and our, what is possible. Let's put it that way. What is possible? So we'll take a look at that as well. So One last thing I would like to add as an outsider, not a vendor, but a spouse of a vendor, was I really appreciated the positivity this year. There was a lot of excitement and people were really positive and willing to kind of go with the flow and I really appreciated that. All right. I'm trying not to look. Artists, is there anything else on our agenda here? Um, no, but I'll make one more comment, and then we can do door prizes. I I did have several requests from virtual people <clears throat> if they could participate in the raffle. So next year we'll have to uh, oh, sure. figure out a way that virtual people can uh, participate. We'll have to so, take a look at that. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. So that's one. Uh, and and, and I will, Artis, can I put a quick plug in since I'm thinking about it? I apologize. Didn't mean to walk on you here, but. Oh, no, you're fine. Certainly. Any of you who are interested in sagebrush, you love the, the uh, past 42 years of sagebrush. We're always looking for new members on our committee. We're looking for fresh ideas, new faces. I'm going to tell you. It's not easy, okay? It's not easy. We meet a lot. We talk a lot. But let me tell you this. We, on top of the hard work, I think artists would stand up and second this. We have a little bit of fun, too. We try to make a little bit of fun out of this because uh, we do love each other as a group. We have a good time. But we work extremely hard on putting this together. And there's just this great sense of pride every week when this thing is done. We've done a good job. And... Uh, I just know I appreciate all my board members, all the help we receive from the volunteers, the hotel, everybody. It's just always a fantastic feeling when it's done because I just feel like we've just knocked it out of the park, and I certainly feel like we did that this year. So please consider that. Please consider joining us. It's, it's an incredible experience, and, uh, yeah, you won't be sorry. I don't think you will. Yeah, we really do truly uh, like to... Um, have uh, more people involved in as assisting because a few of us, um, it's a lot harder to get things done with just uh, a few people working. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, I've got some door prizes here. All right, let's do it one last time. Okay. Um, is Karen Whittington in the audience? I don't believe so. Okay, um, next we have Michael Souza. Michael, are you there? Or might be Souza. I don't know, it's S-O-U-S-Z-A. 
Okay. Artis, I'm a little concerned. I'm a little yeah. concerned right now. I think you've forgotten how to pronounce my name, but, you know, <laughs> on we go. <laughs> well, I do random. Um, I ask Alexa to do random. And, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, she's, uh, you know. <laughs> she leaves the people out. She does random. <laughs> yeah, she is random. Okay, the next one is Orlando Ramirez. Not here. Okay. Um, the next one is Alicia Morris. Alicia, no. Not here either. Okay, well, her hus I think it was her husband got one uh, yesterday, so. Um, okay. Okay, then we have Karen Jones. No, nope. I'm here. Oh, there she Yay. is. She's well, online. Fantastic. One. Yay. Hello. I'm here from South Carolina. This is my first sagebrush, and I've, I've enjoyed everything. Well, wonderful. We're glad to hear it. The only complaint I have is I want to be in person. Next year, I'll be there. Oh, fantastic. And I want you to, I want you to find me and be the first person you shake hands with, okay? I will. I Fan will. Thank fantastic. you guys for everything. All right, artists anymore? Are we good? Hey, uh, I just want to make a comment. Go ahead. Uh, this is Janice and Rex Morris. We y'all have done an awesome job with the virtual. We wish we were there. We will try to be there next time because y'all have done an awesome job. And I want to thank y'all so much. All right, thank you. Did we lose Artis? All right. Well, I think we will close out the session here. So, uh, do was Randy Hoff here or not yet? Yes, he is. Oh, okay, cool. So he's got our second one then. Thank you. Oh, you must have cut out Artis. Okay, very good. We will close out the session. So, yay, Randy, you, you're also a winner. So, all right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, I've had a couple of questions about, we'll be sending out all the door prizes and um, um, contacting people about the auction um, this weekend. So uh, um, we aren't forgetting you. We're, we're just wanted to finish the conference first. So. Right. Hey, real quick, I've got uh, two mouse pads that were left by Social Security. So if anybody needs a new mouse pad, I've, I've got them up here for you. So... Happy to share them. All right. Thank you, everybody. Well, and thank you all for everything. Um, unfortunately, since we're online, uh, I can't, we can't attend the networking event. So just want to let everybody know it was fun seeing everybody, um, even though it would have to be virtual this year. Have a good time at the networking event and the golfing event tomorrow. And uh, do an extra stroke for us or have an extra drink for us. 